Good day, listeners. My name is Ryan Todd, and this is Beyond the Checkbox, where you learn how to integrate more mental wellness into your organization through the best frontline leaders. Today, we have the fortunate opportunity to talk to Zeke Smith. Zeke is the HR leader in a very large and important construction company out of Houston, Texas. And for those of you who are in construction or in oil and gas or, or whatever industry it is, if it's an industrial group, you may know that suicide is an absolute epidemic right now in the construction industry. It is actually surpassing most of the uh, previous things that would hurt and kill mostly men in these industrial organizations. So suicide has become an epidemic in and of itself, and Zeke is traveling around the U.S., focusing on uh, Texas in particular, uh, where there are so many construction workers doing important and sometimes dangerous work, and ringing the bell around suicide and saying, how do we prevent this? What do we have to do to change the messaging so people feel that it's okay to discuss mental health issues before it is too late? Uh, we're very fortunate to have Zeke on the show. He is an insightful individual. I've really come to appreciate everything that he does. He has a young family. He has a very big and important job. And off the side of his desk is doing so much work in mental health and safety. Thank you for joining us. As always, we are so appreciative of uh, you joining us uh, for our podcast and uh, trying to submit and contribute so we can make sure we're meeting your needs and understanding what you want to learn about uh, please let us know on LinkedIn and wherever podcasts are available. Give us some feedback on how we're doing because we want to hear from you about Beyond the Checkbox. Thank you for joining the show. I'm Ryan Todd, and this is Beyond the Checkbox. We've been doing a lot in construction lately on this show because, you know, as we're going to talk about today, there's a bit of a pandemic of mental health issues in construction itself. And you are, you know, obviously one of the leaders in thinking about this and talking about this and getting programming into place. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Zeke, and uh, how, how you came into this industry. Sure. I, well, the, the short story first, effectively the head of our HR and people operations for Satterfield and Ponticus, we're a 32-year-old general contractor, uh, commercial general contractor based in Houston, work all over Texas. So I have about 350 employees in total under my watch and um, am a child of a construction worker. My dad was in the Petrochem construction world for 30 plus years. So I, I like to say it was born with this uh, in my blood a little bit. I, I proudly have my dad's now highly illegal and uncompliant uh, metal hard hat in my office or when he was a superintendent <laughs> back in his day. Uh, but uh, kind of a cool thing to have in my office. So uh, he dug it up out of a box in his garage. So 
but I digress. Uh, so yeah, head of HR and, 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 you know, I think you and I discussed this before Ryan, that, you know, I, I was sort of a, a mental health doubter early in my career. Like, Hey, you don't, you know, you just need to be tougher. You know, you just need to work through this stuff. And the more and more I've worked in this industry and in this role, the more I see, and frankly, through my own personal experience, frankly, dealing with the pandemic that is COVID-19, understanding how how serious, how real is the, the right word that this, um, frankly, this crisis is in our industry. And I, I know we've shared stats before that, you know, suicide and, and broader mental health issues are, are now passing what we call the fatal four in construction as far as uh, the four leading causes of incidents and deaths. So suicide and mental health are, are surpassing those four issues, which is, is, is very alarming, frankly. So um, that's why, you know, this has kind of come to the forefront and that's why I've, you know, taken the bull by the horns per se to, to try to champion efforts for my company and for our industry to um, make people aware as a first step and frankly, take, take action. <laughs> to, to do something about it and not treat mental health as a downstream issue. Oh, that's your problem. You're, you know, go home, take some time off, meditate, reflect. It's like, what can companies do better? You know. So break that down for me again, Zeke. That is, that kind of blows me away. That suicide is killing more young men than the t- the fatal four. That's incredible in a couple of ways and it's very sad to see um but yeah break that down i guess what what do you make of that so what are the for, what are the the fatal four it's like fall from height head injury uh yeah it, the leading four causes of death so and and you said it right you said young men so uh, certainly uh, and i'll just you know you and i included here the white male is the most prevalent construction worker and they are also the most prevalent uh demographic to have successful suicides um so we're also the best at it i mean i don't mean to joke about it but i mean that's it is what it is right so yeah it it blew me away too and um everybody that when we talk about that because in construction safety is a a red thread it's everywhere it's part of it right and and some would argue and i know you do some work in the energy industry too and i think they construction energy sink and, and cross over a lot I would say those these industries are amongst the safest in the world. Frankly, they have the most uh, diligent safety programs of any industry anywhere ever in the history of humankind. Frankly, and so uh, the fact that suicide is 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 more prevalent, um, it's like okay, we're safe, but what are we doing to make sure our people are are engaged, are not overworked? Um, that we care about them, that we know what's going on at home, that it's not just a place to, you know, come to work and they're not just a, a, a butt in a seat, they're not just a body, they're a human being and that we understand what's going on in their life and that we try to transform our work to react to what people are going through um, their personal lives. So I think that's really, really important. What do you make of it? Like what the what's going on in that industry or like there's got there has to be a confluence of multiple factors to lead to that astounding number of suicides what's what's your take on it well i first of all it's a hard industry right it's it it is you see these 50 and 60 year old 
superintendents that are just broken down. They're damn near bionic, right? With all the metal pieces, uh, they've had surgeries and their bodies are just worn down and tired. On top of, it's it's hard work in that there's very long hours required. I mean, we do a lot of, as we've discussed, we do a lot of schoolwork here in the state of Texas. And in the summertime, schoolwork is damn near insane. It's long hours. It's six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. So it's very hard on these, these people individually. And I have to imagine it's probably hard on marriages. And so your personal life, you're not seeing your kids, your, you know, your spouse is probably, um, you know, male or female demanding more of your time that you're not able to give. Um, so I think it's just a, it's a very tough industry. Um, and finally, with that tough word in mind, uh, because my dad was one of them, those guys don't talk about their issues, right? So they never, never feel like they can come to a Dr. Ryan Todd and say, hey, man, I'm having some issues and I'm not feeling a certain way. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's different. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's really dragging me down. So these guys don't historically or behaviorally do that. It wasn't a welcome thing to sit down with your boss and say you're having mental health issues. I mean, and still today, if you bring up that topic to construction workers, their eyes kind of glaze over and it blows by them, right? So we even use terms like stress and burnout that seem to to resonate a, a bit better. So I just think, you know, a combination of tough industry, um, long, long hours, hard work periods that drains on you, on your body and on your relationships. And the, and the third factor being that, you know, historically, folks in this industry, the white, the older white, middle-aged white males don't talk about mental health. They don't, they don't talk to anybody about it. You, did you experience that somewhat growing up? Like, did your dad, like being a kind of a hard-nosed construction guy, did he, he had that attitude as well? Like he wouldn't talk about things growing up or like if there's issues, you kind of, you deal with it? Yeah. I mean, and my dad's a, not a, uh, a traditional hard-nosed guys of these, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I, my dad, um, I think turned to alcohol and, and a little bit, we had that in my family. It's a, we have a, come from a long line of, uh, very successful alcoholics in my family. Um, and so I think that was their, their spiritual counselor, if you will, is just, you know, having some beers to, to unwind. But I don't remember my dad ever coming home and talking about work, he, even as he advanced in his career into more leadership roles in corporate uh, construction. It wasn't a thing that that we did, right? So it's it's super interesting to me that I went into the the one role within construction that is like required to talk about your feelings. You know? so, um, so anyway, maybe perhaps it's a reaction to that, but uh, yeah, definitely experienced something similar at home growing up. Yeah, and I, I I'm interested to hear that you brought up the like middle aged white male complex there too, and I wonder if it is more uh, that cultural thing is is more entrenched with Caucasian males, right? To not talk about it, to like we have all the answers and figure it out and bury your issues, is that do you do you see that more often like and that's that's a bad thing if if that's the case uh, but we we do know that suicide in this demographic is more prevalent among that uh, among that demographic so i don't know if there's something there have you ever explored that uh, well i certainly looked at it not in in deep detail but i'll tell you when I mean, we're in texas right uh, a large hispanic population and that's certainly 
very prevalent in that culture as well to not talk about feelings and the male being a provider and the strong uh, dominant personality relationship. And so I think we're, we experience it here in Texas as well and other states, California and others that have large Hispanic populations and large Hispanic workforces that the Hispanic rate of mental health issues uh, is high as well. So uh, I think white male probably nationwide, but in Texas, I, I haven't seen the stats. So I don't quote me on that, but I have to feel like, you know, our, our Hispanic population is very similar. They just go to work, do their work. That's what they're taught to do. Many of them are immigrants. And so they just, you know, they have to, they have to do to, to put food on the table and, and work hard for their family. So um, this, you know, the feelings of mental health issues is something extra that they put off until they have time, which inevitably they never do. Right. So, yeah, it's an interesting and uh, like, you know, it's obviously a terrible thing to think about, but we have to think about that because there's something that we've obviously missed, right. In mental health as to sure. why this group is doing this and see that as an out and uh, see that as a way to, to escape what's going on. Um, and there's other, I guess, cultural groups where like suicide is an enormous issue that no one understands entirely well. Like I'll, I think about some of our, the suicide rates in, uh, in indigenous, uh, groups in Northern Canada. Like it's, it's a, it is an epidemic that we don't understand and we can't get ahead of. It's, it's been a really difficult thing. And I wonder if there's something else uh, going on culturally on top of the, just identifying as a really strong individual who is the provider. Cause I, I think the more I get into construction and talking to folks in this industry, there's such an enormous amount of pride in providing. There's such a duty to family um, that I, I sometimes wonder if instead of, like instead of admitting that you can even let your foot off the gas on that duty, you'd rather just have nothing to do with it and kill yourself. Like that is the extreme of the, the duty that I think people in this industry have. So I, I wonder if that's part of it, right? And thinking about why people kill themselves in the first place. I think it's so hard to admit that you can, instead of providing a 10 out of 10 life for your family, even if you had to take a little bit of time off for mental health and provide an eight out of 10 life for your family. I think they would rather, you know, you know, uh, complete suicide than even entertain that thought. That's a theory, I guess. And I don't know how that aligns with what you've seen or what your thoughts are on that. No, I mean, I, I would, I would tend to agree. I think, um, I think a lot of the, that pride factor says, Hey, if I'm out of the picture, this family will be better off. And, I have life insurance or other things like that. I've worked for this company for so many years, they'll be taken care of and they don't, I, I'm in the way or I'm not giving every, them everything they want, but I'm not going to leave because then I have to endure the pain of being away from them. If, you know, this is a easier way out, I suppose, for them. I, you know, again, it's all, it's, it's, it's hypothesis and theory, but uh, I think that you're, you know, certainly the construction industry is, is extremely prideful, right? You drive around and like, I built that, we built that, you know, uh, I do it and I don't, I don't build a darn thing. Right. So I, I drive around like, Hey, we're building that. So uh, the pride sense is extremely accurate. So I think um, having not been to that edge personally, I, I don't pretend to know exactly what it feels like to, to be right there. I, I you know, everybody's dealt with their own demons, but it hasn't pushed me that far. Thank goodness. Um, and I've also had a great support system. So I think, um, certainly there's, there's an, 
an aspect of when somebody is successful with this thing of, of their reasoning has to be somewhat consistent in this industry. And so I think that's the challenge for us is to identify the, that root cause. If it's prideful, great. How do we take that and spin it to, to make people love their jobs, love their families, love this industry more as, as opposed to take the, the exit strategy. Yeah. It, I, I deal with suicide almost every day. Like sure. as a psychiatrist, it's uh, and, and I, I can't say I understand it entirely well either. And when I'm talking to folks, it's such a different and personal experience for those who have attempted unsuccessfully. Uh, thank goodness. And, you know, you talk to them about it and they all have such unique experiences. And um, it's so hard to understand and get your head around and difficult for people to talk about. Right. If sure. you've survived it, it's it's incredibly difficult to like lay out what was going on at that time. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, I wonder how substances are playing into it in construction, uh, opioids, uh, pain control, alcohol. Uh, we know that that has gotten worse throughout the pandemic. And I'm wondering no what you've seen there and like how we can, you know, start thinking about that in, in a better way. Well, the huge issue right how do we can't yeah can't get our hands around it right now but sure i mean that's i i certainly i couldn't agree more frankly with what you said are some some causes right um so a couple things right so and these are probably micro factors but things that i think about when i ponder this stuff is no elective surgeries during the pandemic right so in the u.s all these things that like oh my knee's been bothering me i'm good to get it fixed and cleaned up so I can't go get it fixed. So instead, I'm going to just sit here and suck down painkillers so I can get through this year, right? Pile on the pandemic, pile on getting potentially sick, COVID or otherwise, um, pile on the work that says, yeah, you're going to be risking your life here. Enhanced safety, we don't really know. What, let's think about March, April. We had no idea what this thing was, uh, but keep going to work, right? In Texas, construction workers are deemed essential. Um and, we're, and, and, and let's not forget, most of our owners were like, hey, there's no kids in school. There's no people at the airports. So let's speed up. Let's work harder and longer to get this done. We can get more done now with these, you know, with our traditional uh, distractions out of the way. So all that leads to more, okay, I'm more exhausted, tired, more alcohol, more pain. I mean, just vicious cycle. So I think you're spot on with that because, and I just thought like, what makes people take more painkillers? Well, they couldn't go get things fixed that they normally would go get fixed to go to the doctor and see, right? And doctors couldn't do anything about it. So what do they do? Continue to prescribe opioids. So that is a huge, huge, I think, first of all, it's an issue. And I certainly agree with you that's a source of the mental health issues and suicide that we have. I just think it's, it's a cocktail for disaster in my opinion. So, uh, and alcoholism has been, look, I'm a, I'm a child of a recovered alcoholic um, from construction. So alcoholism is a huge issue in construction. And it was, it's a, you know, insanely increasing issue over the last two years with the pandemic. So um, at least in the U.S., alcohol sales were to the roof, right? So um, I have to assume that that had a negative effect on a lot of folks. Yeah, across North America, like alcohol sales have gone up like 30, 40%. Yeah. People are drinking more. Now, I don't know if there's like, there's just continually more acceptance of drinking. 
like I, I don't know what to make of that, but like it, it is it, it is one of the most destructive drugs in the history of, you know, the history of our species. Undoubtedly, I see it every single day. Um, liver failure, DUIs, brain injuries from like drinking alcohol for 30 years. And uh, it continues to be promoted as something that is like totally part of who we like every country song you hear is about beer and whiskey like it's just it's such an interesting thing and uh, again a terrible thing and it's contributed I mean, to a lot of destruction i think through this through this pandemic again i don't mean to, yeah no i agree i don't mean to make light of it but i mean you, you have little kids i have little kids like my little kids sporting events there's not a parent there doesn't have a yeti cup with something in it know. you know it's like you have to have alcohol to get through this kid's <laughs> it's unbelievable and this is actually a yeah. fun thing right so i get yeah. it right i come home after a long day when i want to I have a cold beer to, to kind of unwind um and I'm go, as i go in our you know you and i both do this go home to our second shift our second job of being a parent and you know as we try to wind down the evenings our kids just wind up and spool it yeah. up so sometimes you got to have a little uh elixir or lubricant to uh to get ready for that second shift but uh yeah i mean all within control but i mean it's it walking your dog in the neighborhood everybody's got a cup a yeti cup and you know maybe i'm assuming the worst here but i you know why else are you carrying a, yeti, a giant yeti cup to a soccer game unless you got some uh so adult beverage mixed in there somewhere so uh again not to make light of it but man it, it, talk about the term pandemic that you use we use a couple of times i mean goodness gracious man the, the alcohol is uh has become you know the soda of you know the 2020s right it's like it's crazy so yeah it absolutely has and i I notice it more and more like with my family on how it's part of like social connection like if we're going home for the weekend you know it always gets mentioned amongst my brothers and my sister our family hey we're gonna like get a nice bottle of wine or like you know i brought i bought a flat of beer whatever it is we're gonna watch a football game it's just so a part of our fabric and then that obviously extends to i think in the in the construction industry i remember so i i did i had a job like a summer job i did for like three or four months it was the worst and most grueling job i've ever had to do which was uh, i'd put shingles on roofs and uh it was brutal and i you know my frame is about uh, 110 pounds soaking wet at the time. So I would carry a, a bale of shingles, whatever they're called, up to the roof and put them on. It, it was just grueling work. And uh, and people have to do that work. It's, it's incredibly difficult work and important work. Um, and at the end of the day, we'd kind of like reward ourselves with like a six pack of beer on the tailgate. It was awesome, sure. right? And that's that is just a part of the culture. And I don't know how you... Separate or dissect those things, like to go onto a work site and tell guys and gals not to reward yourself with a beer at the end of the day, uh, to reduce drinking, to reduce mental health issues, to reduce suicide. It's a tough climb. I just I don't know how to to separate the substances from that job because it is so part of the culture that we've all accepted and celebrated. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do a case study. Go find a giant construction site and find the, the local convenience store close by and sit there, you know, 3.30 to 5.30 and just watch the rotating door of these guys getting off their shift and grabbing a tall boy for the drive home, which is highly illegal, but no one gives a game. They don't care. Yeah. It's like, it's worth it to get a ticket to 
drink a tall boy on my way home to, to unwind and, and decompress a bit. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, I, I often share my personal stories. We have a, a friend who stopped, just stopped cold turkey drinking said, I just feel better. I, I don't feel great anymore. Stop. And we, it's been like two years and we continuously berate this guy and make fun of him for doing it. Right. It's like, you were better when you drank, you know, and look, I'm, I don't want to be hypocritical here, but I, I agree that it's an issue for sure. So, um, and I, and I, you know, you have to assume that not everyone has the discipline to treat it as a social lubricant and something to unwind. It's, you know, uh, my all time favorite uncle literally drank himself to death. Cause when he got off work, he had to have a, a six pack that became eight, nine, 10, 12 pack every single night and literally yeah. rotted his body from the inside out, you know? Um, and so it's almost like suicide to me because he knew exactly what he was doing and kept doing and kept doing, couldn't get away from it. So, um, I know he's not a unique case. There's, there's thousands, if not more of folks just like that, that work really hard and come home and just start with one or two beers a night and it's a six pack and then you're a 12 or in and then you're, then you're way down the, the road and I'm not sure if we can get you back. It's a tough cycle too. I think like you talk to a lot of folks who struggle with alcohol and like the the hangover and like trying to the hangover cycle and trying to drink again to avoid the hangover is like such a deadly cycle right and then the i think there's there's an emotional aspect of that too a good friend of mine uh stopped drinking about three years ago um and uh he he said the booze blues were like the hardest thing to fight Right. Because you if you drink or like he would go on benders, but if you drink for two or three days straight, that fourth day when you stop drinking, you feel emo you feel so guilty and emotionally like uh, desperate that the only thing he kind of felt at the time when he was drinking hard, the only thing to reverse that or get out of that trough was to have another drink and then one drink leads to. So that whole like hangover, emotional and physical hangover cycle. I think is really tough to avoid. And then on top of that, you put on physical pain of uh, those who are doing really important and tough labor. So I, I think, you know, now that we, we deconstructed at a high level, a lot of this makes sense. It's almost like no surprise that this is this a side epidemic is happening. And it's so unfortunate. Yeah. It, it's funny. It's it, it, the solution or at least the, the, the diagnosis when you talk about it seems so simple, you know? Um, but when you come down to it, what, like you said, what do we do? Tell everybody to stop drinking beer, stop taking pain medication to help them work every day to provide for their families. It's like, okay, so what else can we do? You know? Um, but I, 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 you know, just as our conversations have gone, I think just making these folks in our industry more aware that it's okay to talk about this stuff. Um, is a, is a really important first step. Because again, you, we're not gonna get them to stop drinking their beer at home. We're not gonna get them to stop taking the pain meds to, you know, to try to get through the day of their broken down bodies. At least we're not in the short term, right? Um, talking about trying to knock out two other epidemics, right, of, of opioids and alcohol. So what can we do first and make it acceptable and and almost commonplace to just talk about things when you're feeling a certain way, you're feeling different than you did the day before, or you're deteriorating a little bit. 
How is that coming? Like, is that, that's one of the missions that you're on is to a awareness. This is going on B we can talk about it and then C like, let's give the tools to actually replace things like Percocets or alcohol or destructive behavior. And that's kind of like, obviously where our conversation has gone is how do we get folks the, the right tools at the right place at the right time? How is that going in your industry? There's some frustrations, but I'm hoping there's some wins too that you can tell us about. Well, so to answer your first question, slow, right? I, I make this show Houston as a giant port and there's some of the largest ships in the world that come through there. And it takes them sometimes three to four days when you get to land to get into port because they're so big. So I, it's a slow moving ship, frankly. Um, you know, social media helps all, right? Because you spread the message. You and I both have been on various podcasts and different social media outlets to talk about it. So the fact that we're talking about it, but again, you're a psychiatrist and I'm an HR guy, right? I'm not a, I'm not a 30 year superintendent talking about mental health. I'm, I'm the, we're the guys supposed to be talking about it. So uh, it's a first step, but how do we make it more acceptable? Um, it's through resources, it's through companies taking that initiative. Um, I, I, I know we've spoken, I, I chair a couple of industry committees within HR and different areas of the industry and we certainly have made it a topic so that's how i think you spread it it's just you know it's i feel like it's a grassroots campaign frankly with the support of the social media the the you know dr ryan todd's and adversity and different resources and platforms and stuff that are out there that that weren't around even two three years ago um but you know long story short slow moving ship but i'm very proud of the strides that our industry has made to talk about it there's organizations created now the the national industry organizations abc and agc here in the states are huge proponents and advocates of mental health and talking about stress and burnout way more than they did right and so i I feel you know i'm always a sports nerd so i feel like in in college if you have a, a bad team bad football team in college you got four years, right? You cycle them in, you get some blue chips, and in four years you can turn this thing around. So I feel the same way, right? You get it, we're getting a lot of new blood in the industry. I'm, I'm frankly at a at University of Houston for a college advisory board meeting this morning, and there's more college students involved in construction management programs across the country than ever before. And these kids are different. They're different than my dad and our dads and our, our retiring superintendents. They care more about that. They they don't want to work, you know. 90 hours and break their bodies down and not be able to walk when they retire. So it's going to force the industry to, to talk about their feelings, talk about these topics more to, to attract these types of, of students and, and employees and to keep them. So I, I, I love that, right? It's, we can talk about it here top down, but from the bottom up our, our, you know, the lack of existing talent and this flood of new talent coming in from colleges is really going to help I think speed up the slow moving ship. I think I, I wanted to ask about the grassroots thing because I, I, it sounds like that starts at college and education. Like for, for those in polytechnics and vocational colleges who want to get into the construction industry, I imagine that has to be a push uh, to get this education in front of those younger people to kind of cycle through on top of that, getting leaders who are in the industry who have had lived experience to talk about it. That seems to be the way it's going. Is that right? Is that, is it, is there a push at the college uh, and polytechnic level to, to get this messaging across and put these skills in place? 
So this is what I'll say indirectly. Yes. And here's how, because I believe there's a, a, a new sink of mental health and safety. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, safety is the red thread. It's, it's, it is a non-negotiable in our world. And if for those uh, forward thinking safety leaders that talk about mental health and stress and burnout as a part of being safe, it really resonates. I've seen it live. It resonates more than trying to sit down with the HR guy and talk about how's your mental health, you know, are you considering suicide, right? If you, if you lock in, there's a safety component to this, that if you're stressed or you're burnout, you're tired, you're not focused, you're less safe. Statistically proven fact, not, you know, no argument, no discussion. Here it is. I tell you all that to say there's been a big push in the college program specifically here in Houston um, to have more safety related courses. So not necessarily a safety professional just, but a construction management professional that is educated on its, it, you know, environmental health and safety. And EHS is the term, right? Environmental health and safety. So it's three different uh, letters on purpose. So health and safety, um, the, the H is growing. It used to be a lowercase H, and I believe it's, a, <laughs> it's truly a capital H now in the description of what they're doing. So that was my kind of indirect to say, yes, I think these are important topics. Is there a mental health class in the construction program? Of course not. Could there be someday? Potentially, right? Um, but I think that we, we leverage our safety partners, OSHA and beyond, to really push this as a, as a safety topic, not an extra topic, right? Yeah. This is safety. It's not safety and mental health. I think if we can get there where that's a consistent message, man, that's a, that would be huge for the push forward in our industry. I love it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's my thesis as well is that that is our in, in this industry. And that's where we have to keep pushing alongside the like upskilling piece. I think we've missed the mark in industries like construction saying, Hey, we're going to provide support and resources. Those two words should be outlawed. I think in construction because they just make, they just people, they have the effect of saying that is soft that is not going to help me. I don't need that. That's for the one in five, not me. Um, and it's it's just vacuous. It's just vap, vapid. Like it doesn't really help anyone by saying we're going to provide support and resources. I think in that industry to provide skills and to attach it to safety, that's where it's got to go. So well, it, that's my I, bias. I I'm glad that you share that too, uh, because uh, I you know I, I think we need more people pushing this boat. Yeah. I used this analogy earlier, the downstream issue. So Houston, oil and gas town, Calgary, um, upstream, downstream, right? We know those terms. Companies, industry, industry and companies need to start treating this like an upstream issue, not downstream. What I mean by that is it's not just an employee issue that they're that they have mental health or stress or burnout issues, right? What's causing it? Typically it's us, it's work, it's their job, right? Um so if we're causing it, but then we're going to tell the employee, sorry, man, this is your problem. Maybe you should take some time off and go like reflect and do some yoga, and, you know, uh, do some of that. How fair is that? Right. That's treating it like a downstream issue. When are companies going to look in the mirror and say, we're actually nine times out of 10, maybe a little less say here and there, the cause our work and not me directly, not you directly, but our company, our industry, our work, the load the stress we're putting on our employees is usually a cause of these issues. So what the hell are we doing about it? What are we going to provide them where they are, right? What are we going to help them 
take home with them? Um, and what are we going to, what kind of environment are we going to create that helps improve that? Not just treat them as like, this is your issue. Go home and come back to me when you're better. Like that's unfair. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Zeke, what are you up to today? It sounds like you're at a conference or you are like, you're on, you're sitting on a council university of Houston. Yeah. So I sit on the, uh, what's called industry advisor board for the university of Houston construction management program. They have two, they have a industrial and a commercial board. And so it's, you know, industry folks to help with marketing the program with student engagement, which is what I do student engagement and internship um, programming. A lot of these guys help with the curriculum to keep it fresh. You know, some of these professors have been out of the industry for 10, 20 years. So we have folks that keep the, the content fresh. So yeah, one of the, one of the many things that I sit on uh, that uh, uh, I really enjoy this part of it, the right getting to see the the next generation, the, the new blood coming into our industry. Cause it's, it, it's really reassuring that I chose the right industry to be a part of, and we're doing a good job of getting some, freaking sharp sharp young talent in the pipeline so that's awesome that's my that's my morning cool that sounds great if if legitimately if you've seen in for there to be mental health safety related content we should talk about that because that's something that obviously i'm really passionate about is getting that into curriculum and the, the grassroots piece so um yeah and just on top of that thanks for all the work that you do zeke and uh, for joining us today and uh, yeah i think interesting to me for us to deconstruct and try and pull apart what's going on in this really messy complex of suicide amongst construction workers. And, uh, we, uh, we need you to continue to do what you're doing so we can get on top of this. But on top of that, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today. No, Ryan, thanks for having, having me. And thanks of course, for all the work you're doing, buddy. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you and, and uh, appreciate your, I'll use the dirty word, appreciate your support and what we're trying to do down here. Uh, and I will tell you, just so this is on record, uh, I have a little bit more respect for you now knowing that you did a roofing job in the summer. Uh, although, if it was a roofing job in Texas in the summer, I'd have even more respect for you. So uh, I'm not sure if, the, if Canadian roofs are quite as hot as Texas roofs are in the summertime. So anyway, yeah, okay. not even no, close. It was my pleasure. Man. I did. Uh, I, worked, I worked on a farm. That was my other summer job. But that was that was like, that was a, like a day in the spa compared to roofing. Holy smokes. That is, that is difficult work. So whoever does that, uh, yeah, they should be very proud of just enduring some of those conditions, but yeah. yeah shout we'll out to personal. our farmers and roofers, man. Shout out. <laughs> no, <laughs> You're <no>. listening. <laughs> yeah. Okay. ZK, take care of yourself. Have a good day uh, down in Houston. We'll talk soon. All right, Brian. Thanks so much. Bye.